Hello and welcome to another episode of What Comes Next, a show all about the technologies that will shape your future. I'm Rob Kellner. I'm Amy Dickens. And I'm Kwaku Akamensa. How are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm buzzing, mate. Actually, um, I just got off of uh, WhatsApp with a friend of mine who lives out in Baltimore, and he was basically giving us some wicked feedback on our episode three. So the conversation that we have with Alberto about machine vision and uh, all the applications that that's going to have. Yeah, so I was kind of stoked that, um, that that he was listening to it on the other side of the world. Shout out, Robert. Nice one. Yeah, I'm really good. I'm really excited to hear from our guest today. It's something that's I'm not very familiar with. This is uh, operating systems and gaming, and it's a whole new world for me. But um, it seems like what they're doing is really, really cool. And I just can't wait to hear a bit more about it in detail. Definitely. We've had a couple of episodes where it's uh, just been the three of us. So it's really cool to have guests back. We've been working on this episode for a couple of weeks. um, And so we're really excited to share it with you. So on with the show. On this episode of What Comes Next, we're talking to Michael Gennady, Vice President of Sales at Hadian. Now, what Hadian is doing is really impressive, but it's also pretty complex, particularly if you don't work in computing or development. So sorry in advance for that. I hope it all makes sense in the end, and I'm going to try and give you a bit of a head start right now. So first of all, Hadian is a computer engineering company. It has developed Hadian OS... And as the name suggests, Hadian OS is an operating system just like iOS, macOS, or Windows. The difference is that iOS and macOS have been designed to work on a single device. By the way, developers call designing something for a specific thing or purpose optimization. Just FYI. But Hadian OS is different. It's been designed cloud first. In other words, it's been designed from the ground up to work in the cloud, not on a specific device which basically means it's better suited to distributed computing environments than what's out there at the moment. And this is really important because the more efficiently we can harness computing resources, the more processing power we can give to people like scientists, engineers, and doctors. In addition, Hadian has built the Ether engine. This is a graphical engine that runs on Hadian OS that's also optimized for the cloud. There are massive and extremely important applications for Hadian OS and the Ether Engine in areas as diverse as gaming, climate change, and life sciences. And Michael's here to tell us all about these applications, how the technology works, and what it can mean for the future. Michael, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, could you start by telling us a bit about you and uh, your work with Hadian? So my name is Michael Gennady. I'm the VP of Sales at Hadian. Uh, I've been with the company for three and a half years since the inception of the business. And Hadian itself is a deep tech startup. We're an engineering company with principal focus in distributed computing. Um, and as part of that, we're engaged in a number of different verticals and industries, such as gaming, such as life sciences and precision medicine, uh, and such as AI training and safety. I want to start off with... Um the idea that on some level it feels like you're building a route to a sort of distributed supercomputer. Is that fair? Yeah, so that was actually one of the the early characterizations of, of how we would describe the business. It's always a challenge thinking about how do you explain what you do to your mom, right? So one, <laughs> of, the ways, one of the ways that we used to do this is by saying, in the same vein that Microsoft's previous mission in the Bill Gates area was to put a computer on every desk, 
we initially set out to put a supercomputer on everyone's desk. And the means of doing so was through the cloud, through this rapidly developing ecosystem that we're starting to see this confluence of things like edge technologies, 5G internet, and the continued development of the cloud infrastructure. So at the moment, we have the ability to an extent to coordinate cloud-based resources and create from a sort of seamless computing experience. What does Hadean kind of add to that and where are you taking it? Yeah, so I guess this this circles back to kind of the inception of the company. And I think... uh, the, the founding members of the team, even now, all of the, the new joiners who have joined in the last 12, 18 months, we come from an extremely varied background, right? I previously worked in a different life in programmatic ad tech. Our CTO, Rashid Mansour, comes from a scientific simulation background. Um, our CEO, Craig Bettis, has worked for a long time in automation and DevOps businesses. And I think the rallying point for us was we've all collectively felt the pain point of working with an application at scale. And right now, the reality is at a certain point in time, no matter how complex your application is, no matter how robust you think your infrastructure is, your application just kind of falls over. And it's very hard to know why. Oftentimes, it's after you've sunk millions of dollars into this endeavor and you've poured a lot of time, energy, effort, and emotion as well into it. So this was kind of where we set out. We're starting to see uh, an interesting development of the computing environment. There's an exponential amount of data, uh, data volume that's traveling around at a significantly higher pace than we've ever seen before. And frankly, we, we don't have the infrastructure, the setup to deal with that. So that was kind of where Hadian was born out of. Fundamentally, we've been using the same technology stack that's existed for the last 40 years, which is a bit frightening. If you think of, uh, I don't think there's any sort of analog in terms from a technological perspective of something that existed 40 years ago that we still use today, right? But we're trying to we're we're trying to do these complex, unprecedented things with something that's a little bit creaky and long in the tooth. So could you talk about perhaps at a high level some of the um, coding and um, technological achievements that have made Hadeon OS possible? Sure. So Hadeon OS is built around a distributed programming model uh, that enables something that we call scale-invariant computing. So what that means is uh, today, if you uh, working with Hadeon OS... If you wrote a simple, if you were uh, someone with even very average computer science skills and you wrote a simple 10,000 line C++ program on that laptop that's sitting in front of you, that same code could easily, instantaneously be deployed across hundreds of thousands of virtual machines on the cloud. And today that's not the case. Uh, That computer language has to be parsed through several different layers of software, You have to learn all these different layers of software. You have to work with them. It typically takes a team of 10 to 50 people, months or years, to be able to scale something. Uh, And that's often at the cost of, in the ballpark of millions of dollars, right? And then we've previously talked about there's a risk factor of something just flopping over. And because you're working on this uh, giant haystack, this layer cake, it's hard to find where the needle is and resolve it, right? So that's what we're trying to... Uh, to to provide in a very practical sense, um, if that answers your question. So a programming model that's inherently distributed uh, that enables people to not have to think about it, not have to consider the ops and engineering requirements, the orchestration requirements, um, all of the fiddly bits that right now you have to do. 
And the benefit of this uh, scale invariant model is it doesn't just scale things up, it scales things dynamically. So depending on the requirements of your applications at any given point in time, it'll give you all the resources that it needs, whether that's a significant volume, or if it doesn't need any of that, it'll shrink it right down, right? If it's just kind of one person on the planet using your application, it'll resource that accordingly. By the same token, if 2 billion people are using it, you'll be able to tap into the cloud resources to support that. So I think that elasticity, that compute elasticity is kind of a key point that underpins Hadean OS. Because right now, right now it's hard enough to scale up. It's just as clunky, if not more so, to scale down. And the way the world works is applications ebb and flow. Hadean OS allows something, these applications to be the living, breathing things that they need to be to facilitate everything that they that they want to do for their users. So it's it sounds like kind of built into the code of Hadean OS is the ability to take the computer code before you factor in all the other sort of like languages and coding you need to scale the application in the cloud. You're basically taking the the original application and doing all the scaling kind of infrastructural work for that developer. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's that, that's an accurate characterization. I think if you boil it right down to it, it's the the lines of code that you write on your laptop are the lines of code that you need to execute this at any scale. So it's removing that. It's not only removing the the resource requirements at an DevOps engineering level. It's also removing that mental workload from from the development process, which I think is almost, if not more, powerful than, than, the, than the practical component. I'm doing inverted comments, but obviously... <laughs> <still going. laughs> this sounds like it has major implications for innovation in terms of giving smaller companies a bit more of an ability to compete because smaller companies that don't have the resources for hiring and, yep. um, and that kind of thing for their, for their research and development, this sounds like it's really giving them... Like, it's kind of equaling the playing field. Is that a correct assumption? Absolutely. So if you think about it today, at a certain point in time, if you want to achieve something at a certain magnitude, there are only a handful of companies that can do that. You could probably count them on one one hand, right? That can do that today. And Hadean OS enables, as you said, uh, smaller fish to compete with kind of the big whales out there. But I think more importantly is even for these established companies, even for the for some of the bigger fish, um, it allows you to get more productivity out of your people, right? It, mm. Instead of having a significant component of your workforce be these uh, infrastructural shepherds who just kind of herd servers around and kind of pull the levers in the background, you can get them doing the things that um, would be more advantageous or beneficial for your business, right? If it's a game studio, you can have more people focused on the game design. If it's a scientific organization, you can have more people actually focused on the research and innovation. It's it's unlocking the, the potential that we're currently stifling because of the limitations of our technology today. Yeah, it almost feels like there's a, another element to that as well, because if you think about how a lot of uh, early stage companies are funded as well. Mm. They have to have certain business models or certain facets of their business model built in in order to get it in front of a, a VC. And a yep. lot of that will be, you must invest in infrastructure in order to be sure. able to um, uh, to be able to uh, yep. progress your business, right? But what you're doing is you're basically saying, well, let us deal with all of that side of it. And now 
you know, you're opening up the playing field to a lot more businesses, getting straight to this kind of the big data problems that you were talking earlier about. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're, we're a seed stage startup ourselves, right? So we're yeah, all, we're yeah. always for the people for any other startup. <laughs> out there. We're, yeah. we're, we're all for it, mate. Um, but yeah, that's exactly right. We, I think it's a shame for some of the brightest minds don't work in these bigger companies, right? And it would be a shame for all of the great ideas and innovation bubbling in their heads to, to go to waste, to not be able to come into the world. So that's what we're trying to, to put in their hands. That's awesome. What kind of um, problems, or uh, I think the the phrase that I saw was um, data bottlenecks, are you trying to uh, mm-hmm. trying to fix? That's a great question. I mean, there's, uh, how, how long does this podcast last? Um, <laughs> I think um, there's, it's a good segue into kind of our focus, right? So Hadean OS is an underlying technology, a foundational technology that we spent maybe the first two years of our business research and developing, putting into practice. And uh, in the pragmatic journey of a startup, that's creating the platform in the future is quite an ambitious and abstract self, right? So to demonstrate what people could do with Hadean OS, we started to develop cardinal applications that live on top of it to show people what they could do, right? And at the onset of the business, we, we developed uh, application libraries that spoke to risk analysis and financial services. We were working with some of the pharmaceuticals for uh, large-scale genetic alignment, uh, genomic alignment, rather. Uh, we were likewise working with uh, some of the corporations out there that were tackling problems uh, pertaining to industrial-scale big data. Um, at the moment, one of the interesting focus areas that we've landed on is actually gaming. And uh, we chose gaming because it's at an interesting inflection point where the the gaming industry is migrating increasingly to the cloud, right? Um, and when you boil it down, first of all, if, if I'm being perfectly transparent, the gaming industry is great because it has a lot less regulatory compliance <laughs> issues than, nice. than something like fintech, right? It also has a great early adopter audience. Uh, sure. A lot of the innovations yeah. that we take today um, were derived from there. Just look at kind of rendering and graphics in general. Just look at something like GPUs. It was mm. born out of there. Um, and in particular, when you talk to some of these people in the in the lateral application areas and you ask them, how, are, how do they do things today? The answer still comes back a lot. Well, actually, we use the we use the game engines. We use the things that the guys are using in the AAA studios. So it was interesting from that perspective. But likewise, going back going back to your question, I apologize. This is a bit long winded, but Not at all. Um, gaming is also one of the most interesting spaces because it has some of the most computationally intense problems right now. If you look at real time simulation at large scale, that is one of the biggest computational problems out there. And I think gaming is also an interesting lens if you look to your question around what are the bottlenecks that exist today? Because it's very tangible. It's, I can only fit this many players in my game. I can only connect this many people in certain fenced off parts of the world. I can't play with someone on the other side of the planet in a single instance game world. We can, we can stand in the same place, part of the world, the same point in the map, and not see each other. And you have these artificial barriers, right? And that detracts from the experience that these people want to feel, that they want to immerse themselves in. So gaming's a great articulation when you ask about some of the bottlenecks that exist today. You mentioned something, genomic alignment. Yeah. Could you talk about what genomic alignment is? Um, so it's mapping the human genome, right? That's the, the human body is still one of the most complex organisms out there. It's the most complex organism out there. Um, and we still have a limited understanding of it. 
being able to uh, understand um, the composition of an individual's makeup from head to toe um, allows us to get insights into, uh, you start to go down multiple paths, right? You have predictive analysis of uh, what, what are the potential medical pitfalls that this particular individual might face in their lifetime or even in subsequent generations if they had children and their children had children. And you can start to uh, anticipate and proactively address some of these issues. Likewise, genomic alignment is a path towards research and development. It can unlock uh, medical cures that don't exist today. It's a great means of uh, trying to resolve some of the horrible diseases that we that we can't deal with today, like cancer, like AIDS. Um, so that was that's still a significant component of our uh, of our business, right? It uh, much more than gaming. It maps to our aspirations and vision of the company about enabling something for the better of humanity. And we're we're still doing quite a significant piece of work there. Um, if gaming probably comprises something like 70% of our time and energy, uh, we work in lateral application areas with the other uh, 30%. And life sciences is a, is a critical component. So we've been working uh, with the Francis Crick Institute, which is also based here in London. Uh, they're one of the world-renowned medical research organizations. And they're using the same technology. So uh, one of the cardinal applications that we built on Hadean OS is Ether Engine. It's a cloud-based simulation engine. Um, that same engine is being used by some of these AAA studios to create these unprecedented game worlds. But it's also being used by the Francis Crick Institute to do complex protein-protein simulations, right, <laughs> as part of their cancer research initiatives. So I think that's, the, uh, that's, that's a little bit us being, we're still 55-odd people down the road in Liverpool Street Station. That's us trying to kill a few birds with one stone. But it also speaks to the, the fundamental flexibility of our technology, right? It's not a, we're not trying to craft vertical solutions. We're trying to enable things on multiple fronts. So far in this conversation, you've mentioned uh, the impact on like financial analysis and risk. We've talked about mapping genetics, medical implications. So to be a bit meta, have you ever mapped the imp like Hadian's effect like on itself, basically? <laughs> I mean, if you if you uh, <laughs> if you could be a fly on the wall at Hadian. So we we rapidly ideate there, right? I think if you, I'd love to introduce you guys to our CTO Rashid Mansour. He's an ideas machine. And I think um, we like those. That's the <laughs> that's the um, that's the that's the benefit that we're trying to enable. And now, at the same time, we temper that against the reality of a startup, right? Because we can sure. we can't answer all we can address all of these problems off the bat. And um, part of that is being strategic about our focus. I think strategy is as much as what you say no to as about what you say yes to. Mm. Hence why we're exploring gaming as kind of the tip of the spear mm. for us, because it it already directly unlocks all of these lateral application areas. It maps to uh, the simulation space in life sciences. It maps to the development of uh, AI in a, in a different way than it's currently done right now, right? You could build a sandbox environment. This is one of our the initiatives in our innovation hub at Hadian is building a sandbox environment that we could use uh, or game studios could use as a template for games that they want to build, these large, open-world, ambitious experiences. But at the same point, having having a sandbox environment and dropping in a nascent AI is a 
great alternative means of developing general AI. So right now, the the cutting edge means of doing this, I mean, if you look at something like DeepMind or OpenAI, they're probably people at the forefront of this field. And how are they doing this right now? They're training their AIs against video games, right? And they're training this against some old video games. So something like, uh, if, if you look at this development pattern, we started pitting AIs against chess masters in the 90s, right? Something like Deep Blue. And we progressed to things like Go. Uh, more recently, you've got AIs uh, pitted against players in StarCraft II, which is a real-time strategy game. It's got a lot of complex dynamics. But again, it's still limited because it was made 15-odd years ago, right? If you've kind of got this large sandbox world, that has all of these emergent um, dimensions to it, if it has all of these different species, ecosystems, uh, economic systems, weather patterns, and you just drop something in there, it can organically develop just by bumping into the different things that it sees and feels, right? You don't have to, uh, you don't have to force feed an AI with thousands and thousands of rounds of chess games or StarCraft II games. It's a different way to promote more general learning in an AI. Instead of getting something specialized, instead of developing the world's best chess player, you can develop something that's a bit more rounded and fully fledged. So I know one of the big kind of areas of focus is the Ether Wars, which yeah. is using EVE Online, uh, a fantastic um, just just a fantastic video game with like a great lineage, like a fantastic community. Uh, could you talk a bit about some of the work you're doing there and with um, CCP, is it CCP Games? Yes, CCP Games. So we, we've only dipped our toe into the gaming waters relatively uh, early, right? So we, we've seriously started pursuing gaming maybe 12, 15, 18 months ago. And one of the early partners that we developed in this field was CCP Games. Now, CCP Games is a Icelandic uh, game studio. They are the makers of EVE Online, one of the most prolific and popular and massively multiplayer online games out there. It's been running for 16 years. And uh, if you're talking about crazy ideation, you should meet their CEO, Hilmar Peterson. He was regaling us with tales of um, Iceland in the late 90s, back when he started one of his earlier companies. The entire company, uh, the entire country was still connected to the internet on one dial-up connection so when you came to work you had to wait for the country to dial up wow. <laughs> wow. but um they're they're a great outfit i think if you look at um the gaming industry today uh gaming is by and large a trend-based industry right you've got the hit makers and you've got kind of the wake of people emulating that in the background right ccp games are very much a trailblazer they've done something that very few people have in that space. They've gone against the grain. They are one of these people that are invested in um, a single sharded world is what it's known as. So today, if you look at a massively multiplayer game, maybe one of the most historically popular out there, World of Warcraft, um, it exists on different shards. And shards are kind of contained regions of the world or versions of the world. So you've got people on the Oceania server that play in one version of the world. You've got people in Western Europe that play in one version of the world, et cetera, et cetera. And like we said before, you start to run into these artificial boundaries where you can talk to people in different locations, but you can't really see them. You run into artificial walls, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm recalling an interesting conversation that I had with Hilmar Peterson. And he was saying that when he visited our offices uh, earlier in the year, he was saying that the vast majority of 
multiplayer games. He described them as theme parks where they've got their systems, you buy the ticket, you wait in line, you can go on the ride, you can do this thing, but it's it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit constrained. You do you go on the Ferris wheel, it goes round, that's what it does, right? And he was describing um, his philosophical approach to building a multiplayer game. He described EVE Online, their flagship title, as more of a playground. And a playground is something where you put all these pieces and people go there and use their own imagination and it can be anything that they want it to be. So the way that they develop their game is not so much about designing experiences. They let the players do that. They have this, uh, first of all, they have one of the few single sharded worlds uh, in, in all of the gaming industry. So all of the people that play EVE Online play in the same game world. And they see their role as to periodically drop in new elements and see what the ripple effect is. They give people these toys and they let them build these new experiences. And one of the, one of the culminations of this was um, a large-scale battle that was self-orchestrated by the player community. And this large-scale battle actually set the Guinness World Record for the most concurrent players in a multiplayer game world in early 2018. It was 6,142 players. This is 6,142 players in, on the same map. Basically, so if we on think the same about map. It, on the same map, so it's like in one lobby in the same battle. Basically, all of the players in the Eve Online community were like, "Look, let's duke it out for this portion of space." Everyone came together with all of their great, big, massive battleships that they'd accumulated over all of the years that they played, and they just went for it, right? And I think that's the that's the interesting dynamic of this community. Just oh objectively, it's fantastic. I could watch that for I could probably watch forty hours of just ships battling. <laughs> honestly, that sounds absolutely. And so, so. But it's all right. I just to get my head around it. So sure. You're saying one end of the map, other end of the map. Yeah, you would encounter six thousand players flying well, they, from one well, to the other. They, they all congregated in one area. Of course right? they did. Yeah, they, they all went for it. <laughs> and uh, I think this simultaneously shows the dynamicism of this community, but it's also a great spotlight on some of the technical limitations that they faced. Right, because by the community's own admission, it was it was it, it was slightly underwhelming they couldn't do some of the things that they wanted to do uh they couldn't fight in these uh formations that they wanted to because the physics wasn't um uh, up to par with what they expected being able to have large ships that shielded the smaller ships behind it they ran into server issues things were crashing and i think one of the uh underpinning features of eve online is something called time dilation all of the combat happens in sub real time um, which they which they cunningly build as a feature, but in reality, this is a means of mitigating the server strain. Right? It's to make things technically easier to facilitate. And I think CCP games are are a great example. First of all, they're one of the most courageous outfits in the industry. Right? They're doing something that no one else has even attempted. But they're starting to come to the limits of. It's not the limits of their ingenuity. But their creative ambition is starting to butt against the limits of the technology that they invested in 16 years ago, right? So uh, this is where the nature of our engagement was born out of. We started to say, we, we had a great chat with kind of the team there, um, got a great feel for their creative ambitions, and tried to find a way where we could help, right? What's, the, what's this complex problem that you're trying to solve? Well, we've got this great game world, we've got this great audience, they want to do all these things, but we want to do this large-scale battles in real time. We want to give them all of these things that they want. That they want. And 
our role as a technology pr- provider is to facilitate this. And that's kind of, that's evolved into what we call EVE Ether Wars, which is an ongoing research and development work stream for us. It's something that we unveiled at GDC, the Game Developers Conference, uh, in March 2019 this year, when we came out of stealth with CCP Games, and which we've subsequently uh, developed at Gamescom was the next flashpoint. And at the end of the month in uh, EVE London, which is their fl- one of their flagship events that will take place at the O2 Arena, we're going to live stream uh, an attempt to break their own Guinness World Record on the Ether engine, which is Amazing. really exciting. So as Michael said, Hadian is working with CTP Games to break the world record for, and this is the official title, the most concurrent players simultaneously involved in a single multiplayer PvP video game battle. Basically, what that means is the most amount of real players in the same map battling out at the same time. Michael and Hadian were kind enough to invite us along to witness the attempt and spend some time at EVE London. Uh, We want to say up front that Hadian and CCP Games didn't break the world record in the end. But even so, the simulation was a huge success. What they achieved technologically was pretty incredible. We'll come to that in a minute. First, so Amy, you went to the O2 to experience EVE London. What was it like? The vibe was so cool. When I got there, there was just this massive queue uh, just out of the room completely around the the side of the O2. I could already tell there was a real buzz about the place. Um, I was standing in the queue for quite a while and got talking to some people behind me. All right, what's your name? Stephen. I'm Ben. And you're both EVE enthusiasts, EVE players. Yes, daily. Daily. Okay, so how did you get into it? My next door neighbor was playing this incredible game where I'd see him like warp from one thing to another. And this was like 10 years, no, 11 years ago. And ever since watching him play it, I've kind of gotten into it as well. Been on and off for years and years and years. But about three years ago, I started picking it up again and, and really enjoyed it. And have you ever seen it live before? Uh, I've seen the Alliance tournament while I've been playing over many years and that's been a staple of it. Now they're going into different kinds of tournaments, and uh, I watch them when the interest comes up. All right, excellent. So are you excited to be here today? Oh, massively. It's the first first one I've I've been to. I've seen loads of the streams. It's always exciting, but no, the first one I've actually properly been to. It's looking good. When I got in the room, it was kind of like dimly lit and there were a lot of people milling about me with flags on their backs for their alliance. Um, And yeah, I got to have a a bit of a chat to some super fans too, some people who knew some people competing that day and also um, just people who'd been playing the game for, you know, 10, 12, 15 years. All right, what's your name? Uh, Mystical Might or Ashton Imrola. So Dexter or Dan. Um, So you guys are both players? Uh, Yeah, that's correct. And how long have you been playing? 12 years. Um, Yeah, probably about 12, 13 years. And have you ever been to a live event like this before? I've been to a couple of smaller ones like EVENT, but I've not been to one of the larger CCP-led ones. Wow, it sounds like a really awesome event. Uh, Just to clarify, though, are these EVE players who have met online and are meeting for the first time? Yeah, um, it seems to be that it's a real hardcore community and that these people all know each other through the game. So some of them have met before in person, but it's usually at another EVE event. And some of them were meeting for the first time in person at this event. Um, so it's fantastic because this, this, this event, these were taking place all over the world, really. And it was connecting EVE players from all around the world. But what Haiti and are trying to achieve is a platform where these people would be able to play all together 
within the same sort of universe. Um, and it, it just opens up the doors and connects this community in a way that they haven't been able to be connected yet. So after Amy went to the O2, all three of us headed over to Hadian's HQ, just around the corner from Liverpool Street Station, for those of you who know London. And that's where we watched Ether Wars Phase 3. We got there about an hour before the simulation started and there was already a bit of a buzz in the room. Quake, what did you think when we when we got there? Yeah, it was interesting. It was kind of like a, a cross between a sort of mission control environment and a, and a stakeout. So you've got pictures of these like intergalactic warships all over the wall and countdowns going up to the actual world record attempt. And then at the same time, you've got like beers and pizzas and donuts going on and lots and lots of kind of I guess like under the cosh um, software engineers and platform developers all kind of working towards this um, this starting time for the uh, for the event yeah really really interesting office of about 25 or so people and I guess it's about half full um, but yeah it's definitely like a, a really kind of um, buzzing atmosphere there's people from the marketing team getting ready and interacting with people on Twitter there's like live action gameplay that was going on um, in some of the big screens uh, and you've got like slack and leaderboards all over the place everything's kind of ticking away it's uh, yeah really really interesting so when the actual um, when the actual record attempt started um, you just see this spike in users um, joining the platform from all over the world obviously these are all on the Hadian platform as well so it's um, going to be brand new to some of them but a lot of them are kind of hardcore um, Ether, uh, sorry, Eve Online uh, game players from back in the day. Um, so you start see, seeing them all kind of interacting online, and there was a, as I mentioned, a live action um, player that was in the game and kind of talking through what he was doing in in his own ship and kind of locking on with missiles and whatnot to uh, destroy all these other ships in um, in the online world. Um, we actually got the opportunity to uh, to play the game as well at one point, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I'm sure that you could tell a little bit more about that because you were on there as well. I think did quite well, if I remember. Yeah, well, I didn't want to brag. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I think um, you know the, the the sort of the anticipation build up and then the attempts open and like I say, the numbers are ticking up. We said earlier that you know unfortunately they didn't break the world record attempt, but actually clearly they they didn't mind about that. You know, yeah, hey, sure. CCP games they they weren't they that wasn't the real objective, the real obje- objective uh, and the real achievement became pretty obvious, like you say, when we started playing the game. So a few minutes into the simulation, Michael comes over and asks if we want to join the Ether Wars. Obviously, all three of us are super eager. I was actually so eager that I accidentally started trying to fiddle with one of Hadian's backup computers. So that one is connected to our backup, so that one was... <laughs> That's a monitor. <laughs> this so one be So we sit down and it becomes pretty obvious there's a bit of a learning curve. I'm basically not quite sure how to shoot at stuff. Good down. Good to us. I don't even know what any of this means. But then we all get into it. This dude's in it. Yes. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. Like, really into it. Oh, you little punk. I think he, um, I think he walked away from me. And that's the first time we all realised what was happening. Like, what we were actually all experiencing. Here's what I said at that moment. Quick side note, I was about five minutes into a pretty epic kill streak. Not bragging, just telling the truth. The amazing thing is, like, this is so smooth. Like, it's, there's, 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 you know, thousands of people playing right now. Uh, 
the graphics are perfect the, there's absolutely no lag and you know it's just amazing I know I've played multiplayer games before with 1340 people there are 2000 people in the same map as me it's, I mean it's just incredible and yeah it's just amazing like this is clearly the future of gaming I don't know how we're going to go back from something else like this um, I've been playing games since as long as I can remember and something that uh, is I've always dreamt of is this idea that you can play with you know hundreds of other players rather than the usual sort of 30 40 60 that you're playing with on the same map and so we're piloting you know that we part we, we pick a ship we get into the get into the arena it's this kind of beautiful there's like kind of shard asteroids everywhere there's a dusty sun in the distance and i'm just flying with my flying with my ship through empty space and then suddenly like 5,000 missiles are kind of coming at me <laughs> and it was just this amazing moment of like oh shit this is this is this is this is so real and there was no lag and no jitter no delay of any kind it was beautifully smooth and yet we were being swarmed by like 1500 2000 other players and it was just amazing and i i that's when the technical achievement and what they were actually going for became real and it was just extraordinary yeah absolutely i mean i can second that it's like so smooth the the gameplay with so many characters that are obviously tuning in from all over the world um going online from all over the world rather and um that was a really interesting thing to kind of catch up with uh, the likes of microsoft they had a representative um over in the offices from the states as well we got a chance to chat with them and they were really really happy with um how the demonstration had gone and also the guys from um ccp games over at, um over in iceland um so you know they were all just so kind of um engaged by the potential of of this uh, this gaming platform um and and literally how many uh, players were able to go on i think the final total was something in the region of about 1800 players um and yeah this just incredible um supported environment that that's come about uh, off of the hadian platform so yeah big thanks to michael and hadian again for having us and letting us see the demonstration and the record attempt live it was awesome to see the power of Hadeon OS up front. And uh, in the next part of the show, we're going to talk more with Michael about the power of Hadeon in things like gaming, but also other things like society and politics. So where could um, Hadeon OS and this harnessing of distributed computing power take gaming in the future? The tip of the iceberg is this mythical Netflix of gaming, right? Which is kind of, you know, you're starting to see the evolution of a business model that's moving to subscription-based. You're starting to see this um, increased ubiquity of gaming in terms of uh, I can play the game that I always want to play on any device regardless. I mean, when I was growing up, I always played FIFA in the morning before school and I wish that I could continue the game on the school bus. That dream's finally coming. <laughs> Maybe 20 years too late for me, but hopefully some other kid out there enjoys it. But this is really the tip of the iceberg. Right now, what you're seeing is, uh, I would characterize it as lazy cloud gaming because we're taking existing games that exist today and we're porting it on the cloud. Now, don't get me wrong, that's still got a significant benefit, right? It increases the amount of people that can enjoy these games anywhere that they are. But the next evolution of that is true cloud gaming. It's building games from the ground up that are purpose-built to take advantage of everything that the cloud can enable. And... The lowest common denominator there is more players, right? If you look at kind of, and it's it's almost interesting to map to the evolution of uh, or the transition from two-dimensional gaming to three-dimensional gaming. When that kind of happened, you saw a lot of uh, game studios, a lot of game designers 
not really be able to wrap their heads around it for a while. They were kind of replicating two-dimensional games just in a 3D space. Mm -hmm. And I think you're starting to see that with the transition from the existing paradigm to to more of a cloud-focused infrastructure, right? You're starting to see people, oh, what can I do? I can put more things in it. But you're not starting to see people uh, wrap their hands around um, what they could do from a creative perspective with this new canvas. I think uh, that's that's why it's interesting working with people like CCP Games because they're out there and they're thinking that way and we love it, right? And we're, we're working with a number of studios along these fronts and we're excited about helping these guys usher in a, a new generation of, of creative ideation in their field. And it sounds like from what you were saying earlier about the technology that it also leaves the, the door open for games developers who are maybe not associated with the larger companies like like CCP to um, to start creating their own games and their own worlds. And I don't know if there's like a, an opportunity for collaboration between people. Yeah. I mean, it. Absolutely. It, I think if, if you look at the exciting. gaming industry, uh, the trend over the last 15 years has been the, the democratization of the ability to make a game, yeah. right? You've seen, the, you've seen the formation of a really strong indie community. You're starting to see some of those walls shatter between the traditional definitions of an indie studio and a AAA studio. I think there's a, a rich tapestry of a rich middle class that exists between the two, and you're starting to see some really cool things come out of it. Um, for sure, we want to enable everyone along that spectrum, right? I love the idea that you know there could be some dude sat in Ghana right now with <laughs> their Mac and some you know amazing creative ideas about how to build this online world, and mm. now they're going to have, or soon they're going to have the um, computing, um, the canvas capabilities, the canvas to yeah. to start to draw on, right? And I guess you know. Would it be fair to say that there's the opportunity for a step change in the entertainment industry for this kind of thing? Could you foreseeably have people creating worlds that as they gain more traction and more mm. users are um, funneled into their specific corner of um, Hadean OS, shall we yeah. say, um, that more computing power would be distributed towards it. So a kind of meritocracy of creativity. The gaming industry is interesting in that regard, right? Because I think if you look at, um, uh, what was it called? That Black Mirror episode, the interactive one, you're starting to see kind of breaking down the walls of, traditional uh, let's call it static media or one-way yeah. media and kind of something that looks and feels slightly more like a game i think you're yeah. starting to see some of that bleed out and i think that's an interesting evolution of the industry uh, the entertainment industry in general is imagine if you could imagine if you watched a movie and after two hours you could pick up a controller and control the fate of whatever was happening on the screen imagine if 10,000 people could do that in the same game world. Yeah. And then imagine if six months later, the director came out with a continuation of the story that you had written in your gameplay experience. I think so something cool. like that's really yeah, exciting, yeah. right? I, I was exactly thinking of, the, of Bandersnatch when, um, <laughs> when you were describing that. And when I first watched Bandersnatch, I thought, man, there's a cool application for this, like a new Star Wars movie, right? Where the decision-making tree pushes you towards the light or the dark side and you're mm. not sure which way you're going in every kind of step that Dialing you take George there. Lucas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm really into stories. I'm, I'm a big reader, but I also really love games and specifically ones that tell really good stories. So I'm, I'm much more into 
the kind of like I, I just finished Pandemic, the board game recently. So I like things that that kind of have events that unfold and different things that happen. Mm. Um, and so I I'm kind of seeing this as like a, almost like a literary pathway where you've got like the new version of fan fiction where people are <laughs> creating these stories in 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 this kind of gaming world and there's other people who are able to like input and mm. affect the way that th- the story plays out i i don't know if that's no absolutely but i suppose uh unlike the the horrible fan fiction that i discovered <laughs> recently in my room and subsequently buried from the light of day putting putting something on the internet's a different kettle of fish right absolutely yeah. <laughs> fan fiction can be a dark place but. um but no absolutely i think it's enabling people to be as creative as they can be yeah. not only whether it's in gaming but in other fields that exist today i think that's the thing that to me is most attractive about Hadean OS. I think if you talk about an operating system, creativity is not the thing that springs to mind, but the, the enablement that it provides, it's literally allowing people to realize any application that they can conceive. And I think that's a really interesting, uh, creative message, creative tapestry for, for people to use. Right. Okay, um, this is a proper massive question. How much Uh-oh. do you think um, our current creativity, let's say in gaming, is tethered by the, uh, the the canvas that we've got in front of us right now? So things like you know processing speeds, things like mm. these are the only um, aspects of physics that we can muster. So it's like, oh, you're either in space or you're on the earth. Do you think that we are still thinking with a lot of boundaries as opposed to where we could be with something like Hadean? To some degree, yes. I mean, I think some of the most interesting creativity comes in a context where you are constrained. But if you look at something like gaming, you have right now you have quite a quite a stark bifurcation, right? You can either have a fairly large, albeit simple game world. Or you can have something that something that's smaller and more complex, and I think being able to not have that either or, being able to allow people to have a choice of what they want it to be, as opposed to dictating it can be one or the other, I think that unlocks an absolutely uh, a very deep well of creativity that that right now can't be realized. I think if you talk to anyone in the gaming industry, every single person you encounter will have a firsthand account of. I wanted to do this thing, but my technology wouldn't let me do it, right? Mm. And that's that's frustrating. Pushing the sort of gaming, implications of gaming into the real world, I have a background and an interest in urban design and architecture. And this yeah. for me is really exciting because a lot of, like when you're creating a master plan, a lot mm. of it is kind of how you're going to set up an area so that it attracts people to it, that businesses can set themselves up and, Mm -hmm. you know, you're talking about footfall and all that kind of stuff through an area. I know you mentioned briefly about, you know, if there's an event in a certain area that that you can kind of model the the pedestrians through there and the impact that that will have on retail. This is really exciting for me from like an architecture and urban design perspective. And even like the way we look at the use of current disuse spaces and stuff like that. I, I just think it's, it's got like a real tangible real world real world application absolutely i think if you look at urban design which is a hugely fascinating field you're seeing it's probably an aggregation point of all the technologies that are developing right you're starting to see cities become smart cities Mm -hmm. and inherent in that is 
a need or a requirement to have some sort of plumbing that ties all of this stuff together, right? But that unlocks huge possibilities in terms of, um, you know, being able to have autonomous vehicles that can speak to um, the different components of the city that it encounters. I think that's that's absolutely a hugely interesting space. And overlaid on top of that is you have um, the notion of something like the augmented reality, a persistent augmented reality layer, right? Where instead of, uh, and I think this is more, okay, let's let's go there. This is this is more a philosophical um, delineation of where the computing world is going. In the in the old world, you kind of had com- computers as they existed. They were these big physical things, right? They were the floor to ceiling mainframes. They were the desktop computers on your desk. Um, more recently, we've uh, created mobile technologies that come with us, right? We've got our phones, we've got our smartwatches, we've got our uh, fitness trackers, etc. The next generation of computing is going to enable uh, ambient technology or invisible technology. It's technology that's incredibly powerful, but that you're not even going to notice right now, right? Like consider how you treat your phone right now. It's second nature, right? You don't you don't think twice about using it. Now, imagine if you not only had your smartphone at your fingertips, but you had any number of touch points or devices that were uniformly as powerful as anything else, and you could do anything with them. I think that's a really interesting scientific world, science fiction world that we're about to head right into right around the corner. It's a really interesting vision. And something I was thinking about for this for this episode is that it seems to me we, we'll enter this sort of change between... Um, Paying for the paying for performance, paying for physical performance, paying for the physical performance of our phones, of our computers, and then sending data away. It seems to me one of the things that a Hadean OS enables or facilitates is actually an inversion of that, where people are becoming more conscious of the storage of the location of their data. Mm. So you would pay to keep your data with you, but the computing power is is ambient is distributed so your device doesn't become your device becomes a connection to a pool of computer resource it becomes a camera or a screen or whatever but it doesn't but what and then you store your own data in a sort of secure way and so really you're tapping in your devices become uh receivers and senders of receivers of information but the processing power is remote and the data is yeah on site or with you yeah it's the thesis of edge technology right complex computation can happen uh, anywhere in the network where uh, I think if you look at the cloud world, it's a, it's a distributed paradigm. So historically, if you trace this back to the, to the computing world, what you typically see is you'll have a, a technology, technical revolution that's um, centralized, and then the next iteration will be decentralized, and then it'll revert back to centralized. So um, cloud technology is actually quite centralized. It's about storing all of the information in one uh, one centralized location, right? Um, but edge technologies is about proliferating that, right? As, as the name describes, it's about allowing computation to live on the edge or wherever that may exist, whether that's on, on your wrist and in the form of your iWatch, if it's in um, a device within your car. Um, each of these touch points can do the computationally heavy and complex pieces and relay it back to wherever it needs to go. And I think that's kind of what you're hinting at, right? It's, uh, it's, you're no longer beholden to a specific uh, hardware touch point. Uh, it can exist anywhere in any form. And that flexibility is 
going back to the theme of democratization, it's it's no longer technology is no longer an elitism. It's no longer about um, only X percentage of people can afford this phone, only Y percentage of people can afford this high spec PC. It's something that exists in everyone's world, and I think that's that's a hugely important piece of things. I, I think technology and what it enables should not be withheld from anyone just by virtue of where they're born or their their own socioeconomic circumstance. I've been thinking all throughout this conversation, what is the one, I guess, real world simulation I would most like to see? And for me, that is what would a world look like with no borders? I would be very, very interested to see how that plays out because I'm a, I'm a strong advocate of like, open the world up, let's see what happens. Um, but I'm just wondering, for you, what would be, like, what's the one simulation you'd really like to see? <laughs> well, as a as a, a diehard Liverpool fan that grew up in Sydney, Australia, and had to wake up at 3.30am every morning to watch the matches, <laughs> I'd, I'd be content with a simulation where I'm sitting front row at Anfield. Nice. But, um, <laughs> um, no, it's an, it's an interesting question, right? I think um, there are hugely interesting... I'm an avid gamer, but I think there are hugely powerful application areas that exist far beyond gaming. And I think some of the precision medicine, some of the life sciences that we hinted at before are kind of the, the um, most tangible... Uh, application areas where we can reap a strong benefit, right? I, I think if, if if we just canvas this particular room, we can all think of someone who is affected by cancer. And I think if we can develop a simulation that helps us develop a cure or a therapy or a resource that uh, prevents that, that removes that from the equation, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about earlier when we were talking about um, climate modeling, it's like I think we we often think about that looking forward mm. so you know what's going to happen to um co2 uh, content of the air in 50 years time 25 yep. years time whatever it might be right but if you're able to model enough variables you can also take that model the other way so you can figure out what the earth would have looked like a million years ago billion years ago what were the um might be depressing to to see the world as it should be, should have been yeah right? <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, th- but there's some interesting bits in there's you know once we have enough information about um the life systems on this planet once we have enough information about um ecosystems and how they develop i don't see any reason why we wouldn't be able to model what would have happened if maybe a slightly different thing had happened to life right at the beginning. So. Humans disappeared. <laughs> Humans disappeared. No, it's a, it's a great point. And I think this is one of those areas where you start to, this is an interesting, I'm specifically thinking about an instance with CCP games, right? Because you start to see this interesting bleed between gaming, non-gaming, uh, science, etc. And one of the things that uh, happened earlier this year is that um, players within the CCP, uh, within EVE Online, were able to um, identify new planets in the existing solar system by virtue of kind of mapping it within the game world, right? So there, there are interesting oh, scientific applications that just come out of these, you know, that trite entertainment fields that we that we might discount or or say that look that's that's entertainment that lives in its own bucket. But something like simulation and the the increasing the sophistication of what we can do and what we can experience has. Um, some interesting cool ramifications. 
We have a little saying here on the podcast, all roads lead to space. And uh, here we are now, back to space. <laughs> it was just a matter of time. <laughs> For sure. That was such a fascinating conversation. I think the thing that I took out of that that is a real exciting thing for me is the democratization that this technology is going to allow. So the ability for people anywhere in the world, regardless of the hardware power on their machine, will be able to create, will be able to contribute to the gaming universe, but also other creative projects by using this this technology, I think it's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I'm excited to see what um, what creatives do with this platform. You know, the, the idea that um, the more engaging the worlds or the environments that you create, the more processing power you'll be able to pull from around the world is absolutely fantastic. And that could be from anywhere around the world. Like you said, this makes use of all sorts of different devices. So again, it comes back to this idea of democratizing technology. Um, and that to me is a, a really exciting leap forward that this could be. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a, a really powerful idea of combining just generally, yeah, thought and creativity with the computing power you need to unlock it. So we talked at the the first half of the episode a bit about its applications with things like climate modeling. It would, it's not just climate scientists at elite universities or elite institutions with access to supercomputing mainframes. It's kind of anyone with the with a a well thought out hypothesis or or a, like you say an intricate creative idea has the power to test it or bring it to life and i think i think it's so powerful and again um you know a big thank you to to michael and uh, michael for for coming in and then also hayden for having us it was awesome to see it live and to get a good idea of what it means for the future thank you very much for listening to this episode of what comes next Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions about anything we've discussed on today's show or any comments or would like to share your own game-changing innovation on what comes next, then drop us an email. We're at wcn at grantree.co.uk. Thank you very much again and see you next time.